Thank you, Lord, for saving a dirt bag like me. I just love Ray. And I love the fact that God meets us right where we are. I love the fact that he takes us in our sin and in our brokenness and he, he just he transforms us. He saves us. And maybe some of you find yourself there today. You find yourself in a similar position. Maybe you have, have once thought that Christianity is you know, just for people that have it all together. These are the people that you know, comb their hair and brush their teeth every morning and you know, just kind of have it all put together. That's who Christianity is for. Um, but I want to tell you today, it is for every single one of us. Jesus died and came back to life so that anybody and everybody could be made new. And that's the message of Easter. That's the good news that we have to, to share today. And if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that. That Jesus loves you right where you are. He wants to meet you where you are. And he wants to give you new life in him. That can happen today if you'll respond to him in faith today. Nobody is beyond his reach. Nobody. You know, maybe some of you can, can relate to a story like Ray. Maybe for some of you, you're like, hey, you don't know what I've been through. That's, that's child's play, what he was dealing with. Maybe for others, you might see a story like that, and you think, you know, that's great, that God takes people that are really messed up and changes them, and that's wonderful, but that's not my story, and I've kind of always walked a straight and narrow. And, you know, maybe, maybe your thought is more of, well, I've just always been pretty good. And I have to tell you that that's more of my background and my story. As a kid growing up, I was a kid that, that was pretty much a good kid and did well in school and stayed out of trouble and all those kinds of things. But here's what I discovered, that I still had something that was really missing in my life. And it wasn't until I came to know Christ that I realized that Jesus was what was missing. So wherever you are, whatever your background is, God wants to meet you right there. Maybe for some of you, this wasn't Ray's story so much. It doesn't sound like it wasn't my story, but for some of you, your story maybe is you've grown up a good, good church person, very religious person. And, you know, God has been on the forefront of your mind your whole life, and maybe you've found yourself even trusting in your own righteousness and your own ability to be uh, good enough for God. And that although isn't necessarily my story, it is the story of the person we're going to look at today. Because we're going to, uh, to look at, at the story of a man in the Bible named Saul um, and talk about how God changed him even though he was a religious guy. And maybe that's the back, background for some of you. Maybe, you know, maybe your drug problem wasn't the same as Ray's drug problem. Your problem was your parents drug you to church every time the doors were open. You know, maybe that's your story. It's like, I've grown up around this all my life. Well, that, that's pretty much Saul's story, and we're going to take a look at his story in just a moment. But before we do, um, let's just make sure that, that we catch up to speed, because we're about to pick this up in Acts chapter 9 in a minute. This is several years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, but let's make sure we know what happened leading up to that point. If we go back to the first Easter weekend, Good Friday... It's a day that we now call good because we understand what the meaning of it was. But that's the day that, that Jesus died for us. The Bible tells us that, that he was taken away. He was arrested. He was put on basically this kind of a mock trial. He was uh, condemned to death. And he was crucified. Nailed to a cross. 
They took his dead body down from the cross. They laid it in a borrowed tomb and they took a massive stone and they rolled the stone in front of the tomb because they wanted to protect against a hoax of people saying that Jesus had risen from the dead because he said that that he would do that. And so they took every precaution to make sure that that did not happen. And yet we read in Mark 16, starting in verse 2, listen to what Scripture says. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. The unthinkable happened on that first Easter morning. The same Jesus that they saw crucified and laid in the tomb had come back to life. The one who died for them on Friday was living on Sunday. The one whose body had been pierced, had been nailed to the cross had even been stabbed with a spear by one of the Roman soldiers. That body was alive and well and healthy and strong, and Jesus was alive. And he appeared to more than 500 of his followers. And he had multiple appearances to his inner circle. There's no question that Jesus had been risen from the dead. And before he ascended back into heaven, he gave instructions to his followers. And he said, I want you to go and I want you to wait. And he talked about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, the Spirit will give you power and you're going to be my witnesses. Because this is a really important story that needs to be told, right? And Jesus said that the Spirit will come and empower you to tell the story. And that's what happened. Acts chapter 2, we now call Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes and the, the church is birthed. And thousands of people come to faith in Christ. And the the, the followers of Jesus have incredible boldness and they're sharing the story. and, And people are being converted and lives are being changed and everything is good. Except for one problem. And that is that the religious establishment was not too excited about people going out and preaching that, hey, the Jews are the ones that put Jesus to death, but now he's alive again. It was a major threat. And so they began to persecute the church. They began to persecute followers of Christ. And Acts chapter 7 tells the story of a disciple by the name of Stephen who was stoned to death because he said he saw Jesus at the right hand of God. And they thought, that's blasphemy. How could you say that? So they stoned him to death. And that's when we're introduced to someone. At the time, his name was Saul. We know him as Paul now. But it says that Saul stood there giving his approval as they were stoning Stephen to death, Saul gave his approval. And so it's, it's within that background of religious tension between the growing church and the religious establishment and Saul being a, a good uh, Pharisee and a, a follower of the law. He wanted to make sure that he protected against what he thought was false teaching. So let's pick up his story in Acts chapter 9. Starting in verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest 
and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So the beginning of this chapter, of course, Saul is still breathing out these murderous threats against the disciples. It's like the, the smell of blood for a, a shiver of great white sharks. You know, get a little bit of a taste and it's like, I, I want more. And Saul was so desperate to get rid of the Christians that he actually went to the high priest and asked for letters so that when he went to Damascus, he could arrest any in the synagogues who were followers of Christ. And that was his plan. While he's on his way to Damascus to arrest believers, followers of Jesus, this light shines from heaven so bright that it knocks him to the ground. He hears a, a voice speak to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, up until that point, I'm convinced that Saul thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing right. He was protecting the faith of his upbringing. And yet... He has this encounter with Jesus on the way, and it's kind of funny to me that he has to ask him, who are you, Lord? I mean, it's like, Saul, where are you going? You're going to persecute the church. You would think he might be able to put two and two together and figure this out, but I think he was so convinced that all of this was just a big hoax. He didn't believe it. He didn't believe that Jesus was who everyone said he was until he had his personal encounter with him. And not only does he see a light from heaven, not only does he hear voices and others with him, same thing. They, they, they experience the same thing. But it says that when he got up that he couldn't see. He was blind for three days. And for three days, uh, God left him in that condition. And I believe he did that for a very specific reason. Because it's possible that after this encounter, Saul could have talked himself out of this being real. You ever done that? You ever talk yourself out of an experience you have with God? And it's like, you know, God shows up. Maybe it was at a, at a youth camp when you were younger. And it's like you experienced the presence of God and you knew. And, you, and maybe, maybe at that point you knew Jesus was real and you needed to follow him, but you didn't do it and you left. And that camp high goes away and you kind of can talk yourself out of it. Or maybe it's a, a family member or a friend or somebody that's a follower of Jesus and you see something in their life and you spend time around that person and you're like, man, they've got something that I want and I know it's real and yet you get removed from that. You're not around it anymore and then all of a sudden you're kind of just talking yourself out of it. No, maybe that, maybe that isn't for me. I think one of the reasons that God left Saul blind for three days was so that he would know beyond a shadow of a doubt what you experienced on the road was real. And it really was Jesus speaking to him. And this is important and, and, and you need to deal with it. It's easy for us when God is stirring to miss the opportunity. You know, speaking of that, it's not going to be long before this worship service is over and whatever the rest of the day has for you, that you just get on to that. Can I just ask you to do something today? Can I ask you to have an open heart to respond immediately? To whatever God might put on your heart today. 
when God stirs and when God moves, we need to respond right away in faith. And that's our prayer for you today. We're even going to give you the opportunity to do that today, to, to respond immediately. One of the reasons that Saul didn't miss it, in addition to all that happened, God sent him somebody named Ananias, which we didn't read the rest of this, but it's really quite funny if you read it, because God says, I want you to go to Saul, and, and you know, he gives him instructions about him, and Ananias is terrified, like all the Christians are, because they've heard of Saul, they know he's persecuting the church, and he wants nothing to do with him, but the funny part is, Ananias begins to explain to God who Saul is, as if God's going to say, oh, you don't say, I had no idea, okay. Of course he knows who he is, but, and he calls him. It's very, very interesting. Uh, listen to what God says. If you skip ahead to verse 15, listen to what he says. But the Lord said to Ananias, he's heard all of his excuses, but he just says to him, go. Stop arguing with me and just go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. He is my chosen instrument. So you just need to go and do it. Um, you know the point that he's making, and this is really the point for today, and that is that Jesus can change anybody. That's the point. Jesus can change anybody. No matter who you are, no matter what your background is, whether you are somebody that seems to have it all together or not, or maybe you're somebody like Saul who is very religious, you're somebody like Ray that's you know, gone down a path that's very far from God. Whatever your story is, God can change anybody. And he takes this person, Saul, who hated the church and persecuted the church and wanted to put Christians to death, and he turns him into the greatest preacher and missionary and the one that writes about half of our New Testament. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing, right? That God changes people to that degree. So if you ever find yourself in a position where you're like, you know, I... God may work through other people, but God's certainly not going to work through somebody like me. You better be careful because God seems to really enjoy working through some of the most unlikely people. And I think he does that so that it's really clear uh, that, that he gets the credit for that. Saul was changed. I'm sure that he could have come up with a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons why he I mean, he had a lot to lose, right? Leaving everything that he knew in order to become a follower of Jesus. And there are so many reasons today that you could give for not following Christ. I'm just not sure that I'm ready yet. I don't know that I can live my life the way a Christian should. I, I don't know if I really want to turn away from my sin. What will other people think about me? Will I turn into some kind of religious zealot? Will God tell me to move to the jungles of Amazon and become a missionary to some remote tribe that will kill me and eat me? I mean, we can come up with all kinds of crazy responses, right? It's like, these are all the reasons why this isn't for me or I can't make a decision to follow Jesus. Let me just give you two reasons why you should. First, our sin separates us from God and there's nothing we can do about it on our own. Guys, this is powerful. On our own, there is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. Saul, that was true for him, even as a religious person. That's true for those that, that have no uh, thought of God. It's true for those that seem to have it all together and seem to be going down the right path. All of us are sinful. And our sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross for us. It took the shedding of his blood for us to cover our sins. So we desperately need what Christ offered for us. He did all of that because he loves us. 
I read something this week from Jim Dennison. I never thought about this before. This is what he said. If you knew your second son would cost your first son his life, would you have had him? Think about that for a minute. God knew that by creating us as his sons and daughters, it would cost his son his life. That is extreme love. Let me give you the second reason that we need to follow him, and that is because God loves you, and he wants you in his family. Let me close with a a story I've shared. uh, It's been several years ago, but um, just a a powerful story of of how that became real in my life. Uh, Our family was on vacation a long time ago. I, uh, I think our youngest daughter, Autumn, was probably around 10, 12, somewhere in that age range. And uh, we went with the whole family to uh, Galveston. My uh, wife, Sean's dad, has a place there just right down the corner from Stewart Beach, if you know Stewart Beach. And we were at the beach, and uh, the whole family was there. We got all set up, and we are out in the water, playing in the water. We, we come back out of the water, and most of us went back to the place where our, our chairs and our stuff was, and we sat down. But Autumn stayed at the water's edge. And she was, I think, looking for seashores or doing something. She was having a good time. We're like, she's fine. But she was old enough. We weren't you know, particularly worried about her. So we go and we sit back down. And, and then after a little while, somebody looked around and said, hey, where's Autumn? We all started asking each other, I don't know, where, where is Autumn? Couldn't find her. So, you know, first thought is, eh, she's, she's here somewhere. You know, I'm sure she is. So we start looking around. The more we look, we can't find her anywhere. We divide up, start going down both sides of the beach. I even go to the bathrooms, uh, you know, looking everywhere, getting women to go in and call for them. We're starting to get, you know, the, the desperation is starting to get turned up a little bit. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm literally running up and down the beach, screaming her name. No response whatsoever. There was a lady that was out there. I remember stopping Sean and praying with her. I mean, we were in complete panic mode. And you guys that know me and know my personality, I don't panic very easily. I really don't. But in that moment, I was in complete panic. My daughter was gone. And I would have done anything to get her back. Well, we're, we're searching for her and, and just can't find her. And it's been probably 20 minutes or more. It's been a long time. All this stuff starts running through my mind at this point, and I start having these crazy thoughts of, you know, what if she got abducted? What if somebody took her away? What if she went out into the water and a little current pulled her out, you know, and she was out and drowned somewhere? And I'm just starting to envision all of these kinds of things. And then suddenly there was something. It was, it was the voice of God, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that said, go check your phone. And I hadn't thought about that before. My phone was in a bag on the beach. I went and got my phone out, and sure enough, there's a missed call. Call that number back, and it's a lady, a mom, who had Autumn. What had happened was, when we got to the beach, there was one of those massive inflatable slides that was right behind the place where we sat down, and we didn't know it at the time, but she used that as a landmark and thought, okay, I'll know where where you are because it's right in front of that giant slide. Well, they had... They had lowered the slide and taken it away while we were out playing. And so she gets out of the water, didn't see us right away, and starts walking looking for that slide. She doesn't find the slide. She gets confused and, you know, just continues to walk. She goes about a half a mile down the beach before she finally gets a mom and, and tells her. And thankfully, she remembered my number, knew what my phone number was. Mom calls me, and, and we were reunited with her. Let me just tell you, in that moment, when my baby girl was lost... I would have done anything to get her back. 
That's exactly what God has done for us. That's exactly what, what the Easter weekend is all about. That we were lost. We were separated from God. And God said, I will go to any length to, to get you back. Even if that means sending my son to die in your place. Gosh, I want to tell you today, we have a God who loves us. Our sin separates us from God, but God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place. And today, I want to give you an opportunity to become a child of God if you have not before. And it's a simple process. It's a matter of us acknowledging our own sinfulness, acknowledging that we are separated from God, but that Jesus died for us. He died in our place. He rose from the dead. And if we'll put our faith in him, then we can be made new. God's desire is to have a relationship with you. Whether you're coming from a place where you've been far from God, you've been involved in a lot of things that you know aren't right, or maybe you're coming from a place where, you know, it seems in your own eyes that everything's good, or maybe you're coming from a place where you're depending on your own self-righteousness. If you've been in church, you know the Bible, all this. Can I, I just love you enough to tell you this. That's not getting you anywhere. We desperately need a Savior. And if you've never come to a point of acknowledging that and saying, Jesus, I want to trust in you. I'm not trusting in myself, but in you. I want to give you a chance to do that. In fact, let's bow our heads for prayer. Whatever your background, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. I'm going to pray through a sample prayer of trusting in Christ. And I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pause after each phrase so that you have time to pray this back to God. Pray with me if you're ready to place your trust in Christ today. God, I've made a mess of my life on my own. I confess that I'm sinful. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead and is alive today. Right now, I turn from my sins and put my full trust in Christ. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for saving me. In your name I pray. I want you to continue with your heads bowed and eyes closed in a spirit of prayer for just a moment. But if you prayed that prayer with me and you trusted in Christ for the first time, I want you to do something bold. I, I just want you to lift your hand up there. Just lift it up. Nobody else is looking around. But I want to know, if you prayed that prayer, trusting in Christ, would you just lift your hand and leave it up to say, this is my decision today to trust in Jesus. Thank you, guys. You can put your hands down. The rest of you, go ahead and look up with me now. Um, I, I want to encourage you today to take a, a really bold step in your faith. And that is that we have an opportunity to, to um, participate in, in believer's baptism that right now, like, like now. We're just going to do that. We've never done this before, but just right here on the spot, we're going to say, if you uh, have either made a decision to trust in Christ 
today or you have trusted in Christ previously, but there's not been a time where you have followed through in believer's baptism. Maybe you're baptized as an infant or whatever the case may be. But, but as a follower of Christ, there's not been a time where you said, I have publicly acknowledged that I am a Christ follower through baptism. I want to encourage you to, to do that today. Um, I, again, lots of reasons why. This might not uh, be a good idea. Lots of reasons, lots of excuses you come up with, I know. Maybe you t- came totally unprepared for this today, but I want to tell you, we didn't. We're ready. We have what you need. We have change of clothes. We've got towels. We've got hair dryers. We've got combs. We even have deodorant so you don't have to stink when you go to Easter brunch or lunch or whatever. We're, we're ready, okay? We are ready for you. We have everything that you need today in order for you to take that step just right here and right now. Uh, to say, I am going to acknowledge Christ uh, through believer's baptism. I just want to encourage you uh, not to let the excuses get in your way today and to take that, that, that bold step. Because the bottom line to me is this, Jesus died for us publicly. He calls us to follow him publicly. And that should trump any of the excuses that we can come up with is that we want to be faithful to fall in Christ. So here's how this is going to work. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and our worship team's going to come, and they're going to lead us through just a really powerful song. There's a video with it, really uh, just a, a, a powerful time. Uh, I'm going to ask you, while they are uh, leading us through this time of worship, to stay seated unless you desire to be baptized today. If you want to be baptized, I'm just going to ask you to just go ahead and stand up. And somebody will come get you and just walk you right outside these doors and get you with someone that can get you a change of clothes and instructions and, and what to do. And then we'll, we'll baptize here at the end of the service for anybody that's ready to do that today. Uh, but again, as we go through this, this next period of time, just remain seated uh, unless you are, are ready to be baptized today. Uh, let me encourage you with this too, just, just kind of a, uh, specifics of, of, of how we plan to do that. Um, for those that are adults, obviously, just this your decision to make. Uh, for those that are younger, if you're under 18, we really want your parents involved in this. Okay, so this is something that if you're if you're under 18, I know it's still your decision to make, but uh, we want your parents' consent on that. So if if that's your desire, y'all need to talk about that real quick and be on the same page. If if you need to wait, and we'll do this another time we can. Uh, but for those that are ready. And, and, and want to do that, then that's how we're going to go about that. So I'm going to encourage you after we have a chance to pray here in just a moment to stand up. Uh, I know that that can be an intimidating thing to do. So don't hesitate to tap someone, a friend or a family member, say, hey, would you just stand with me and walk out with me so that I'm not by myself, okay? So you can take that stand with somebody. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be baptized today, but you can stand and, and support of somebody and go with them as they prepare to do that. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your work in our lives today and how, uh, just, just how we see you, you working, Lord. We're thankful that you are so good and you are so faithful always. Lord, today I pray for boldness. I pray, Lord, if there are some folks that you're stirring in their heart to take this next step today, that you would give them the courage that they need. Lord, even if it doesn't really make sense, um, God, give them, give them what they need to give them the courage to to follow you in believer's baptism now. And Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.